Have you noticed that all of us have thoughts, facts, and statements for which we believe to be true? Our mindset is formed by beliefs, ideas, and opinions which have been ingrained in us by others. Uh, we've been taught from an early age to take on the suppositions of our parents and our teachers. <laughs> and most of us do not stray far from the norms of our upbringing. These norms become our identity. They become the lenses by which we actually see the world. These norms become our reality, our truth. And, and when our beliefs and ideas and opinions become our truth, well, you know, it's almost impossible to, to be convinced otherwise, to even think of the possibility that we might be wrong, that I might be wrong. Now, as a side note, uh, this is actually what drives my study of God's Word. See, my goal, my goal is not to justify my beliefs and ideas and opinions ingrained in me since childhood, but, but to be open to the fact that some of that which I was taught may be wrong. Now, for some of you that I even would admit this may even give you pause. Now, I hope not. I hope not. I mean, this is why we all ought to be, ought to be doing exploring, digging, and searching for truth. The discovery process is the essence of growth in one's spiritual life. All right, let me quote a friend as we look at this series on the anatomy of peace. We do not have to break our unity when we disagree, even over mainline doctrinal issues, if, if when discussing, we don't force each other to consensus by dinner time tonight. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. See, embedded in the fabric of this congregation is the freedom to dig, to discuss, to actually contemplate, to search, and to discover. Yeah, no question is off limits. Every subject is worth exploring without facing judgment from another. So, is it odd to have a church think this way? Yeah, absolutely it is, especially in our faith tradition. And you may ask, why? Well, because acknowledging there are other options means I may be wrong regarding my belief system. And that is terrifying to most. We would rather fight than listen and understand. And this is why our tribe chooses conflict over shalom, division over wholeness, war over peace. We are a tribe littered with splintered families of God across this nation, and it grieves our Father's heart. We also spend most of our time dealing with things that go wrong rather than helping things go right. So each week I want to offer another side of shalom, another nuance of its true meaning. So remember, remember last week we discussed shalom as wholeness, completeness, soundness to a broken world, that which brings permanence to one's life? Now, as, as I said last week, our, our English word for peace is the absence of conflict or war, which is a very shallow meaning of shalom. This week I want to offer another angle to shalom. And this, this is from Tim Mackey from The Bible Project, and he says, 
He says this about Shalom. Life is complex, full of moving parts of relationships and situations. And when any of these are out of alignment or missing, Shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. And I wonder if this statement represents many of our lives. I mean, how many of us find ourselves in complex relationships with multiple moving parts? How many of us need our relationships restored because shalom is missing from the core of our relationship, the core of our being? Our lives are not whole. They are not complete. And Jesus comes to our burdened souls and says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus came to bring permanent shalom, wholeness, completeness, soundness to a broken world, no matter what, is stirring all around oneself. See, the answer to shalom is not to begin with others first. Did you hear me? (laughs) This is important, all right? See, the answer to shalom is not to think that the other person is the problem. Shalom can only happen when we take a deep dive into our own hearts and are willing to evaluate this space inside of us first. And the first question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we view the world? Yeah, how do we view this world? You know, there's a large segment of society, and even those of us in Christ's church, who spend most of our time dealing with things that go wrong rather than helping things go right. Now, I want to repeat that sentence again because I think it is really, really important. There's a large segment of society, and even those in Christ's church, who spend most of our time dealing with things that go wrong rather than helping things go right. So let me, let me ask you to do something while you're looking at this pyramid. I need you to think of your own life. Where do you spend most of your time when you're looking at this pyramid? Do you spend most of your time dealing with things that go wrong? Is that where you spend it? Or do you spend most of your time helping things go right? So in, other, in other words, okay, think of it like this. How's your pyramid weighted? Does your anger, discontentment, and bitterness occupy the bottom half of the period? Or or maybe even even 75% of the pyramid, if we're really honest with ourselves. Do you spend most of your time complaining about others, recognizing their faults, faults, being upset others don't have your frame of reference? Or is your pyramid actually flipped? Would you consider yourself an encourager. In other words, 75% of your time is spent seeing the possibility of good in all people. 
spending your days helping things go right, building relationships, listening and learning, demonstrating a love for all people. See, your focus, although it's not perfect because none of us are, but it continually mirrors the words of Jesus and the Beatitudes regarding Shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Church family, our attitude toward all people, how we see people, is my choice. It's our choice. We can't blame our attitude on the environment. We can't blame our attitude that we have right now on our upbringing. We can't blame our attitude on the hurts caused by others. We choose our pyramid. I choose my pyramid. I choose either to have a heart at war or a heart at peace. Now, there are only two options here. You get it? There are only two options. And for today and for all of the day's hints, we can't ride the fence. No, we can't straddle the peak of the pyramid and say, well, to be honest, I'm just a little of both. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Some of us need to repent of our sins. And many of us, me included, need to dig deeply inside the core of our being and do a self-inventory on our hearts, souls, and minds. And so, and so this is what I want to do in our remaining time we have. I actually want to give us the knowledge needed to make adequate adjustments to our lives. So I'm going to share the characteristics of one who has a heart at war and the characteristics of one who has a heart at peace. And I hope, I hope, I pray that this will help us in the evaluation process, what to look for, what to recognize when Satan comes knocking at our door, as he does quite often in our lives. Okay, so let's look at the first pyramid. It's the heart at war. If we have a heart at war, peace occupies a small percentage of our pyramid. This is why it resides in the smallest section of the pyramid. Now, we may weight our peace at 75% because we believe we bring peace. But the way we go about implementing that peace it often tells a different story. It is easy to recognize a heart at war by the way we immediately react to conflict, tension, and disagreement, whatever that conflict may be. It might be a spouse forgetting to pay a bill, or a child disobeying for the third time, or a friend betraying one's trust. What's my first reaction to conflict? How do I respond? Did you know there's only one time in Scripture where Jesus sighs? Only one time. Now, the other times he sighs, the Greek word can also be translated groan. But there's only one time the true Greek word for sigh is used. And it's when Jesus faces the Pharisees after he has fed the 4,000. I say, okay, so you tell me, you tell me, did these Pharisees have a heart at war or do they have a heart at peace? You're going to be the ones that's going to determine that. Listen to the scripture. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. 
seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. All right. So which one was it? See, their first reaction to Jesus' miracle, his feeding of the 4,000, is to argue and test him. I mean, was this not a beautiful moment of grace and love? The true shepherd of Israel feeding 4,000 people. Why did Jesus sigh? Why did he sigh? Jesus sighed because these leaders of Israel, these Pharisees, were not what God created them to be, and it, his heart ached. And I wonder how many times Jesus looks down on us and sighs deeply in his spirit because we're not what God created us to be. And accompanying that moment of conflict, you can see it, there's judgment. These men were judging Jesus. They projected on him that which Jesus was not. They placed upon him fault. These men saw Jesus, even this act of beauty, as evil. And they followed their fault finding by demanding they give him a sign. So can you read between the lines of their conversation? Can you? Here's how, here's how you can be at peace with us. You need to give us a sign. You need to perform according to our standards, Jesus. You need to live up to our expectations. And the only way, the only way, Jesus, you can have peace with us is to meet our demands. See, it's the natural progression of a heart at war. And this self-inventory we're taking is getting much more difficult with every step and much more personal. You know, when one doesn't get from another what they desire, there's usually anger. And anger is often followed by some sort of punishment toward others. Yeah, we ignore, we complain, and then we slander and we malign, all in an effort to inflict punishment on another. Much of it, much of it underhanded. Much of it shrouded in the small cloak of peace we actually possess at that top of the pyramid. And many of us believe we have served justice to this individual on behalf of God. Yep, we have taken up God's cause. And just like the Pharisees, we feel we are the gatekeepers of virtue. And I hope all of us hear the sigh loud and clear from heaven. We are not the people God created us to be. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? Oh Lord, I come before you because my heart is not what it ought to be. It's often a heart at war, a heart whose passion is often missing your amazing grace toward others, a heart that forms judgments and is often annoyed. I not only pray for me, but for all those who turn our hearts toward war more often than we would like. And if there is someone here who doesn't believe that exists in their life, I pray you'll convict their soul. All of us are sinners and have allowed our hearts to quarrel 
and fight because our passions are often misguided. Lord, bring shalom, wholeness, completeness, and soundness to our weary souls. Who else can save us from our failings? Who else can bring healing to our weary and conflicted hearts? Is it not you, a holy God? We cry out to you. Heal our broken hearts and mend them by the Son of Shalom, our Savior, our Redeemer, who gave his life so we could have eternal peace. Oh, how we need your grace, mercy, and love. I pray all this in the name of the one who was, who is, and who is to come, Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, there is hope for peace. There's hope for peace. There's hope for shalom. And it can happen. It can be obtained. Jesus expected it to occur occur in his bride. Shalom is available to all people. Shalom connecting one to another. You know, there's an action word. This is, there's an action word embedded in this Greek word. It, it's agape. We are to love one another as Christ loved us, which brings shalom to our own lives. And it's a gift we share with all people, with all people. So instead of spending most of our time determining that which is going wrong, we choose shalom. Spending time on that which is going right. As I said before, our English word for peace is such a limiting word. And we have said before, it's defined as the absence of conflict. But it pales. It pales in comparison to a heart of shalom. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he implores us to make shalom that which occupies our heart. And let the peace, the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So how do we do this when we're often at odds with people? But James, James, they, they just don't think like me. They don't have the same standards or principles as I do. We differ politically, ethically, socially, and spiritually. And exactly how do you expect me to bring shalom to those for which I have nothing in common? And besides, they actually grate on my ethical standards in my life. So, James, just how do I do this? Well, it begins with a conversation where we listen and learn. It begins by sitting down and being open to having a conversation with an outsider, someone who does not look like you or me. And brothers and sisters, this is no different than how we are to respond to one another. We listen and we learn. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how how you ought to answer each person. You know, no relationship can be built, no conflict can be solved or brought to shalom as long as all parties are convinced they are right. 
We are to seek understanding, not conformity. We're to seek relationships, not alliances. And if conformity and alliances are expected in all our relationships, there, there will be little, if any, shalom given or received to those who do not look like me, think like me, or even act like me. And these are barriers we have often implored in our lives and in our churches. It causes division and it breaks the heart of God. We are determined here at Lake Homa to help things go right. Correct? Right? We therefore must be people of God who demonstrate love and communicate shalom to all people. It must become the bedrock of who we are as a people of God. Demonstration and communication, not concealment and animosity. And this does not happen. This does not happen with a single conversation. This does not happen with a single encounter with another individual, which brings us to our next pyramid point. At the heart of peace, the heart of peace seeks to build relationships with others. We are called by our Savior to love all people, to agape all people. And as I said earlier, shalom is bound up in this idea of agape. There's a deeper love than, than, than acquaintance. It's, it's, a, it's a deeper love than that which arises just from personal relationships. Agape is found upon deep appreciation and high regard for one another. And you may ask, are you expecting me to have a deep appreciation and high regard for all people, James? Yes. Yes. I'm expecting us to see the image of God in all people. I'm expecting us to see in all people the imago Dei, God's breath within them. This is how Jesus saw all people. I mean, how can any of us treat people like dirt who've been made in the image of God? And this is the reason Jesus had a following. He treated all people as individuals made in the image of God, unlike how we treat people most of the time. And if I'm going to have a heart of peace, behavior modification will be needed to be employed in my life to reach my goal. There's a strong possibility, a strong possibility. I will need to modify my behavior, how I respond to others, how I see others, how I think about others, if I am going to have a heart at peace. So now this self-inventory we're conducting concerning our lives, it just got really real, didn't it? And some of us are probably not liking where this is heading. I mean, why do I need to change, James? And I get it. I get it. You know, some people are unwilling to modify their behavior because they can never see themselves as the problem. Because doing so would be threatening to their sense of self. I mean, right? Right? Okay, so let me remind you. No relationship can be built as long as parties are convinced, all parties are convinced they are right. 
What is it going to take for us to have a heart, a peace? <laughs> There's only one more blank to be filled in. And it must become the foundation of our pyramid. Okay, so this element must be the foundation of our hearts, must be the foundation of our souls and our minds. Does anybody, does anybody want to guess what it is? Anybody think you know? It's shalom, bringing wholeness, completeness, soundness to all people. When we see others' hopes, needs, cares, their fears as real to us as our own hopes, needs, cares, and fears, even for those who hold divergent views, then, then and only then, are we able to bring shalom to another and begin the journey of having a heart at peace. Now remember, a heart at war needs enemies to justify one's warring, one's combative behavior. A heart at war needs enemies and mistreatment much more than they desire shalom. One's heart can only be at peace, at shalom, if the source of the holy is present in our hearts, soul, and mind. Paul actually puts it this way. And the peace of God, the shalom of the holy, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Lake Homa, the unity we share as a body, the love we share as a body, the shalom we share as a family reflects the oneness we share with our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our togetherness is reflected in this vertical relationship we have with our Father, as well as this horizontal relationship we have with each other. Did you know our community here in Mustang does not evaluate the health and well-being of Lake Home or any church through a vertical relationship with the Father? That's not what they do. They evaluate the health and well-being of a church like Lake Home through the horizontal relationships we share with one another and even this community. This is how we're judged by outsiders. This body is Christ's witness to our city. And as a people of God, we must determine to spend more time on that which is going right rather than that which is going wrong. Because we are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this, like Homa, this, like Homa, brings a smile to our Heavenly Father. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I love you all. May God bless you. May God bring you shalom.